0: That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince dot com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast.
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts. So you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: Hi, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. I I am so excited for today's episode. Like if you're, if someone were to send me my ideal guest on a piece of paper with the bio that this woman has, it it's, I just can't, I'm excited. Let me just leave it at that because I'm obsessed with, I'm obsessed with politics. I, okay. I'm I'm not going to give anything away until I tell this really quick story. So as my listeners know, Mary might not know this, but I lost my best friend when I was 29 years old. She died very, very tragically. Her name was Julie. I talk about her all the time. And I really, truly believe in signs. So I talk a lot about signs that they're with us. And, um, and so I'm, I live in the Manhattan Beach, California area. So I'm walking down the street the other day. I almost didn't even go into downtown because Tuesdays is farmer's market day. And my one friend was like, do you mind? Because I was early to pick up my kids from school, just really quickly going and getting a crepe for my daughter. So I was like, okay, I'm already early. I'm fine doing that, whatever. So I'm walking in downtown. I walk around the corner to go back to my car with my flowers and a crepe. And all of a sudden I see Julie's sister who her sister's like my sister. I grew up with her family. They kind of took over and helped, you know, really take care of me when my stepfather came into the picture and it was a very unhappy time after my dad died. And I looked at her and I go, Andrea? And she goes, Megan? And she didn't realize, like she was on a very quick trip. So she didn't realize that I even lived in this area and LA is very spread out. And so... I then said, got mad at her and I go, why didn't you tell me you were coming? (laughs) And then she said, I just didn't even realize we, I was on this girl's trip for a couple nights. Anyways, that was, that was just the most random thing ever. But the thing that was so cool about it is I then made plans to go out with her and her friends for dinner and I'm in my car uh, driving there and I, I was the maid of honor in their younger sister's wedding. So when Julie passed away, their younger sister, Christian, who's been on the podcast, asked me to be her maid of honor. And I used to be a singer and to sing the song In My Life by the Beatles at her wedding. So I'm in my car and I'm driving and the song comes on, which is not, that's not a normal song to come on. It's like not Beyonce or Lady Gaga or something I listen to all the time. So it was that was crazy. So I immediately go. I, I mean, I must have I do look like a crazy person sometimes driving down the street because I really believe Julie's with me a lot. And I go and I go, I know you're in the car right now. <laughs> and I love you so much. And I know that you're you had something to do with this happening. And then I go and I go to dinner and we have this great dinner. And the next day she calls me and I, cause I told her the story I'm talking about Andrea and she goes, Megan, I was just shopping in a store and in my life came on. So talk about, talk about like. If you don't believe in signs, people, and you don't believe that the people that we've lost are with us and sending us signs that they're with us, I just have to say, there's been too many things in my life that have happened. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud, and I've been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening judging Megan. I'm going to introduce my guest who I'm a fan. I'm definitely going to fangirl out on her. Um, Mary Hayashi is a former California State Assembly member. She has written the book that came out in October of um, this past October, Women in Politics, Breaking Down the Barriers to Achieve True Representation. I, I also love her because she's a mental health advocate, which is huge. She's also a survivor of loss. She lost her sister very young. And so I just, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on today. So thank you for coming on, Mary.
2: Oh, Megan, it's my pleasure. And it's so great to um, be on your show. Um, and I loved your story about, you know, connecting with Julie's sister because I, I recently posted a um, social media quote. Um, uh, It's this woman writer out of, I think, Indonesia who posted, um, I will spend my lifetime remembering you. And I think, you know, when I think about like my career and my work, you know, for the past 30 years, um, really had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, my sister passed away at age 17 um do, Because of untreated mental illness, and so even though we 're not aware of it all the time, you know I think we're all influenced by these people who are no longer with us, and everyone processed grief differently, you know mm-hmm. but somebody like you and myself, I mean, I think we probably honor them, cherish them think of think about them, and so they're able
0: to kind of once in a while send us little you know um Hello's. <laughs> and reminders. Yeah, yeah like yeah. reminders that they're like, don't forget about me. I like to say they're in the next room. Makes me kind of feel better that they're not so far away. Right. Um, right. So yeah. Thank you for that story. <laughs> of course. So I'm gonna start with kind of where you're from. And I want to talk obviously about your sister. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, but I know she's probably really proud of you because what all that you've accomplished is pretty amazing so let's start with kind of your backstory if you're comfortable with that
2: yeah i I, the the it's funny because i I don't consider myself like a professional writer but this is my second book and this book took me two years to write it Mm -hmm. it was it's it was it was pretty lengthy process um, and I don't really enjoy writing. So I found myself like asking this question, why do you keep doing this? <laughs> um, and it really goes back to my time, um, here in the United States when I first came here at 12. I didn't speak any English. My parents are very traditional people. They wanted me to, you know, maybe get married by like 20 before I get really old um, somebody wealthy and just kind of go have kids. And, you know, they sort of envision that lifestyle for me. And, um, you know, growing up in orange County, you know, as, as, as a young teenager, um, I met so many people who went on to college and I had better grades than they did. So I really wanted to go to college. Um, I went to Cal state long beach and took this class women's studies class, um, that talked about feminist literature and what Gloria Steinem did and Handmaid's Tale. I mean, I was really obsessed with uh, women literature and learned that, you know, maybe I can do something with my life. Um, and so, you know, being introduced to women literature and women feminist writing, when I was such a young person, and am totally lost, um, really made an impact on me. And I think what I want to do now is keep writing so that other women who could be like in my shoes when I was younger could read my book and see that, you know, their background doesn't really, you know, they don't need to be controlled by their backgrounds or ethnicities or family histories, that they could be inspired to do anything. And so that's, that's the goal of the book. And, and um, it really has a lot to do with, with who I am and how I came to this country and, and and struggled a lot, you know, within the family as well as externally, just because I didn't speak any English and and had to assimilate and and had to become Mary. That was just kind of an American name given to me. Um, and it, well, mostly because people couldn't pronounce my name,
0: my real name. What um, what is your real name? It's it's Gyeong. <laughs> See, it's so interesting, and and also. My question, because what you said is so interesting to me that you came here at 12. So originally, where are you from? Uh, Korea. Okay. So you come from Korea at age 12. I can't imagine being 12 and having my name changed because that's your part of your identity. That's who you are. Not to mention the fact of going to another country where nobody speaks your language and you don't understand it. And I would assume learning English was not an easy task because it's such a different language.
2: Yeah. Well, we, um, you know, we were raised to be good girls, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, don't, don't say anything. Don't talk about anything. No direct eye contact, <laughs> you know, do what, whatever your parents tells you to do and became kind of invisible, you know, and I kind of perfected that when I was younger and when we came here just kind of being a good girl be quiet and just you know just don't bring any attention to yourself um and so I, I was really good at it because of my good girl training and that same year um you know we lost my older sister to suicide she passed away that year and then we came to this country like six months later and again we weren't really allowed to talk about her
0: we mm-hmm. did, you know my
2: parents didn't have a funeral for her or anything because they were they were so ashamed, and I think they just wanted to kind of erase her, you know, completely from everything. Um, and so you know, we weren't allowed to keep photographs. Like she was cut, literally cut out of family photographs. We weren't allowed to really talk about um her at all. And so we just came here and I was like 12, and I'm just you know, starting junior high and I got a new name. Um <laughs> when I went to school, I kids used to call me Connie because The only Asian person they saw on TV was Connie Chung. And I was like so flattered. I remember thinking, oh, she's so amazing and she's on television.
0: So it must be a compliment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But (laughs) meanwhile, you're like, that's not a nice thing to say. Let me stop you for one second. (laughs) So just all of that at that period of time is I don't even know how one child could handle so much at one period, losing a a sibling to suicide, which is, I mean, that's so traumatic in itself because you never have answers. You're just kind of left hanging. Then being told that you can't talk about it. You can't like have memories of her. And I can get that because in a lot of ways, that was a generational thing. I'm sure it was a cultural thing for you where people were told move on, like don't, that we're not supposed to speak of this, especially suicide back then. Right. And then being moved to Orange County, which by the way, at that period of time was predominantly white. Right. And so you're sitting here like dealing with this horrible tragedy and this grief. I don't know how to process it. My brain is obviously not even close to being fully formed. Uh, Being in a country where I don't speak the language, having to change my name, and then just dealing in silence with that unbearable pain, right? I can't, I just can't even start. And then in your head going, well, this is a compliment. I I mean, look at Connie Chung, who, by the way, is beautiful, but you know, it's, that's a, that's a lot to take for a young kid.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you don't really realize it until you get older. Like when I look at my nephews and, you know, when they were, I have four nephews between my siblings and, you know, I look at them when they were like 12 years old and I'm thinking, God, they're so young. You know, it's like, they're just a child. It's like, you're a child at 12, you know, and and that's when you realize that was a lot. But at Mm -hmm. that time, I think you just kind of toughen up. Yeah, you, you know, as, you know, as kids, we just kind of adjust, you know, we're very well, we, don't, we, we don't, we don't really have a, a
0: choice, right? We're really? just told, I mean, I can relate a teeny bit because my dad was diagnosed with leukemia when I was 12. Mm. So mm. he, I watched him for nine months suffer and die, you know, and same thing. Like you're just, right. you know, it was different. We ta- obviously were able to talk about my dad. So totally different situation, but You're just supposed to pick up and go on yeah. and you don't understand it. There's no answers, you know, on how to grieve, how to grieve. Also, you said in the beginning and something I say all the time is that grieving is different for everybody, but I believe grieving is a lifelong process.
2: It really is. And I think it's okay to feel you know, um, that sense of loss throughout your life, because it just means that it was, they were real. Mm-hmm. They actually existed and they meant mm-hmm. something. So mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, I think it's perfectly normal. Um, and for me, I mean, after taking that women's studies class, I moved out of Orange County, came up to the Bay Area, um, you know, put myself through college. And I thought, you know, I really want to make a difference. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just get married and have kids. And that wasn't something that I was really passionate about, but I really wanted to find out what had happened to her and why such stigma exists for, you know, men- mental health issues when, you know, one in seven Americans suffer from mental illness. <laughs> it is so common and so many people are affected by this illness. And yet, you know, everybody's sort of ashamed of it. And there's so much discrimination mm-hmm. and it's certainly in my culture, you know, there, you know, the silence is, 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 can be deadly because like for my sister, obviously she didn't feel that she could ask for help, you know? Um, So I decided to to become a mental health advocate and I was in my early twenties and going back to the book, even though I don't consider myself a writer, like professional writer, um, I keep wanting to write and publish because reading women lit- feminist literature when I was a young person meant so much. Mm -hmm. And it opened doors for me and it really changed my trajectory. So that's, you know, one of the goals in writing my book is to inspire women to, to, you know, to, to write their own life path.
0: And to take a chance on themselves and not like, I mean, I could talk about this all day, but just, this is a man's world. I mean, it still is. We continue to see it at a boiling point right now. I'm sure you're laughing, but, um, I just think the statistic actually you said one in seven, I believe 70% of people that have a mental health illness never do anything about it. Okay. So our, our country is at a boiling point with suicide rates, um, Undiagnosed mental illness, drug addiction, homelessness. This all could be, I mean, you're the one that was in the California Assembly. So you're, you know, more than I do, but just there's no one size fits all to fix this. But this is something that I am so inspired that you read about, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and all of these trailblazers and something that's really special about you and, and writing, because I'm not a writer either. And by the way, I'm writing my book and my audience knows that I'm never going to be finished because I can't seem to sit down. I'm a procrastinator, but also it's traumatic. I don't want to think about it. So it's like, you I'll know, write a teeny bit and then I'll go, yeah. I'm going to walk away. And well, so it's you know it's what gonna
2: really t- helped me? Um, what? It's just You have to get good editors. I mean, I yeah. had- I had three different editors at various stages and by the mm. way this is my second book so the, the first book was published like 15 years ago and so if you have good editors who can kind of help you get structured and um, you know help you with line editing and framing you could you could do it Megan if I yeah. could do it honestly you could, anybody can do
0: I, it I know I can do it you're <laughs> inspiring me to sit down and get this done but what I was going to say is something that I love about what you're saying and is so important is after we're all gone, right? Mm -hmm. Your writing will always stay alive. It's kind of like video, but to me writing is so powerful because seeing the words on paper, there's a book that I love and I always recommend it to people when they've gone through a loss. So if they're grieving, Mm -hmm. um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote the book on death and dying, she also wrote a book called The Wheel of Life. Mm. There's some like a little bit of like some interesting things. I'm going to use the word interesting in a couple of the chapters, but if you can get past some of the things that are a little bit quirky and get to like the true meaning of what the book talks about, which is, you know, getting through loss, getting through all of these things in life. It's one of the best I use it. It's I use it as a as a, a gift for people when they go through loss. I give it to people. I love the book mm. that much. Yeah. So thank
2: you. So well, how we get you to run for office, that's what I want to talk about.
0: I don't because, know. Yeah. At the end we can talk about it, but um, okay. I'm afraid that um um I, I don't know if many people would want me to run for office, but you inspire me and I wanna know. So we're gonna like kind of cut ahead how you got to the point where you went, you know what? I, I want to run for office. I want to make a change, especially being Asian American. I mean, there's so much prejudice and sadly it's coming to a boiling point again on top of everything else because of COVID and everything else going in the world, which is horrific. So tell me first how you kind of decided that that was what you wanted to do with your life.
2: Yeah. So I, you know, after I started my own organization, when I was 26 years old, I decided that there should be a national voice for Asian American women's health issues. So I started this nonprofit and I didn't know what, what I was doing really. I was 26 for God's sake. Um, but I just felt like, you know, that somebody needs, somebody needs to do this. And, um, you know, I got a lot of support from other women of color, um, leaders, and other, you know, feminist organizations, they were very supportive. And so I started on that journey. And it was huge. I was like, I couldn't believe it. It was hugely successful, um, accomplished a lot. You know, when I started that organization, the census, U.S. census did not even collect um, data on Asian Americans. Like we didn't really know, we didn't really know, you know what the mental health status was for specific Asian women, just because the data wasn't available. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of advocacy work at the federal level. Okay. Um, you know, through Congress and the white house to, to get us included. And so that was accomplished, you know, that I was able to accomplish that. And um, after working for a nonprofit cause like that, I um, was very fortunate to have an opportunity to work on a campaign for um, a ballot measure actually in California, Proposition 63, which was a tax on millionaires to fund mental health programs. Mm-hmm. And so my mentor and also at the time, California State Assembly member, Daryl Steinberg, he gave me a chance. He asked me to help him work on the ballot measure. And I was so excited. Um, and it passed because I think, you know, most of us have a personal connection to mental Health issue, you know, we know someone, or or somebody in our immediate family or friends, you know, we 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 have a personal connection to that issue. Um, and then I was appointed to serve on the commission to make sure the money got distributed right. And and so that whole experience really inspired me to do more. And Daryl at the time was yeah. in the legislature, and he's the one who advocated and sponsored this uh, ballot measure. So I said to him, if this is what state assembly people do, I want to do this. (laughs) And, you know, and he was great. Um, I interviewed him for my book. He's the only male in the book, Um, because I also want to bring out the fact that talk about the fact that, you know, men can play an important role in um, achieving gender parity. They have a role here. And, you know, so um, so I did interview him and he was a huge part of my decision-making and also part of my success. Um, But think about this. When I was growing up, like we were not, we could not talk about money. Like we, asking a stranger for money was Mm -hmm. prohibited. Like that was not allowed. But I had to kind of go from that to calling, making cold calls and asking these people, mostly men, Who were in power at the time with money, asking money for my campaign. So I I couldn't my first job when I was 23, I couldn't even ask how much the position paid really. Because it it just wasn't something that we weren't supposed to ask or talk about as girls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Don't
2: be classed, you know? Don't talk about money. Don't ask for money. Um And so I remember the human resources manager saying, do you want to know how much it pays? And I was just like so (laughs) uncomfortable. And I was like, anything's really good, you know? Um, (laughs) So so I went from that to making cold calls every day, asking these people, mostly men, um, if they would write $3,800 check to my campaign. And so I'm telling you, if I can do that, anybody can really do this. And you'll be surprised, yes. Nine out of 10, I would say, they don't call you back or they don't want to support you. But you do get that one person (laughs) who wants to see you succeed. And so you just keep going. Um, And, you know, I learned a lot from others as well, other candidates and other people running for office. Um, But one thing that I sort of talk about in my book that was memorable, even though it was like 15 years ago, when, oh, actually longer than that, because it was 2006, I was so excited to have Tipper Gore's endorsement because, you know, I worked on the White House Mental Health Conference with her. Um, I, I had endorsement of Nancy Pelosi. She wasn't the speaker then, but I, I mean, I really thought I had it all figured out. I thought I was all that, you know. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I got all these big endorsements. I raised, you know, all this money. I think I had like $100,000 like right out of the gate and I was all proud of myself. I reached out to the local Democratic Party chair. She's a woman. I went to go meet with her. And I'm like, you know, I have this and I have that. I've done this. I worked at the federal level. Look how cool I am. And she said to me, have you thought about running for local government first? And she, you know, and I would never forget that because I, you know, I just thought if I'm not qualified to run, (laughs) Who is? But well, she just, asked me that question. It just made me feel really insecure.
0: Yeah. Did uh, she, was she, I, I I have a question about that because I talk a lot about how women are so great in so many ways because we do want to lift thing, each other up, but I believe that men put us in a position in life where we're pinned up against each other. Hence, that's why we have so much competition and can be... Because I worked in corporate America. So I would see myself not get promotions. I was a top salesperson. I was always winning awards. And I would never get like the manager job. Like I would get passed over because I'm an alpha woman and I have an opinion. (laughs) And. And so I always noticed the women that were like moving up were kind of, yes, women. So whatever the man's idea was, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But going back to my question is, was that what was happening there where she was like, you start here lower because she, there's jealousy. I'm just curious about that.
2: You know, I think it's the kind of that gender bias thing, you know, that okay. they, when we talk about gender bias, it's not just men, um, you know, women mm. also have that. And I think- 100%,
0: she, yeah.
2: Honestly, you know, I asked her this question when she said that I should consider something local. She said, given your healthcare background, how about a hospital board? Why don't you run for that first? Mm. And I think what she thought in her, like- She she just thought I couldn't win. Like I was not viable because I never ran for anything. And my opponent didn't run for anything either. Like he's never been on like city council either. He's, you know, he, he, he was the county fire chief. So he had the government experience, but Mm -hmm. it's not like he ran for anything. So I asked him, I asked her this question, are you asking that question, you know, to everyone who's running and she didn't answer. So nobody, nobody questions like male, like male candidates qualification, because I think people just assume they're qualified. Whereas women, like we have to prove that we're qualified, you know, and there's really a big study that I cite in my book where, um you know, they, they asked both women and men in this study have the same identical qualification, but like 60% of the women said that they were not qualified to run. And um, men, I think, on the other hand, were like less than 40% said they were not qualified to run. But the biggest difference is men who said they're not qualified to run would run anyway. Mm-hmm. They said they would just do it anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest difference. Because women, we're, if we're not qualified, we're not going to apply for that job unless we check every qualification Box, You know, and so. So, you know, th- this sort of explains the, the lack of the 50 percent parity in, in politics, because, you know, women rate themselves not qualified to run for office when they're in fact are qualified to run. Mm-hmm. And then when they do run, they have to be likable men. They don't have to be likable um, not to get political, but,
0: you know, no, a lot please of people do. Really love- Please a lot do. of people didn't like yeah. Donald
2: Trump, but they voted for him. But if people don't like Hillary Clinton, they're not going to vote for the woman. So women have to be likable. They have to be qualified. They have to prove that they're qualified to do the job. Um, and so, you know, there's a double standard here. And then, you know, the likability double standard, of course, is, um, is you know, one of the, you know, one of the biggest sort of issues for women, like women candidates, because, Studies have shown that the minute you announce for public office, you start at negative. You
0: okay, do because let me just say voters something. Because are like,
2: oh, yeah. why is
0: she running? <laughs> no, no, no. It's like going back to the Barbie movie. I mean, I've been talking yeah. about this a lot. We're expected to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to do like everything. Like you're saying, educated. But the minute that a, a female goes into politics, yeah. Um. They're automatically villainized. Like right. if you, if you, okay. So I'm going to use the current situation that we're in right now. Okay. Um. I, I think a lot of people are kind of like, we would like someone fresh to run for president. And I'm, and I talk to people on both sides of the aisle because I really try to educate myself and not sit here and watch CNN or watch Fox news I need to know what's really going on. And that's the disconnect in our country is there's far left and there's far right. And very, very seldomly can we meet in the middle until we get to that point where we can go across the aisle. I watched it yesterday because I'm very interested in what's happening with these social media companies being held accountable. Yeah. Right. Um, Which we can talk about, but immediately, I mean, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Nikki Haley, but there's things that I like about her. And so I I tried to watch her, um, her debates and I'm a, I'm a fan of hers because she's a mental health advocate and that's part of her platform. So anytime that I know that I, there, somebody could potentially be talking about mental health and bringing it to the forefront well, well then you 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 had me at hello right but the minute that you see nikki haley co- get up on that stage and speak she, the uh, donald trump i'll use him as, as an example i'm obviously not a fan and i'm terrified but um she her immigration status comes up and he calls her by her her birth name which she has not been called since she was a young child. So it would be like you being called your name that you haven't been called since you were 12. And (laughs) then on top of that, being criticized for what you look like, she's a pretty woman. She's attractive. Why isn't anybody saying anything about, I mean, I guess they are calling him like the orange emperor and like all these different things, but nobody cares about what men look like. That's not, that doesn't matter. It's like the sex card is brought in if she's going to be wearing heels. I was listening and Ron DeSantis was like saying something about her wearing heels. And she was like, well, I can do this and wear heels on top of it. So my point is, is everything that you're saying should really, ladies, if you're listening, because most of my audience is female, this should put a fire under your feet because I'm a mom. I do not, absolutely do not want my almost 14 year old in a day and my 10 year old to be told that they're not good enough to compete with men. And what I'm afraid of is the more that women are pushed down, and that includes Kamala, and that includes Nikki Haley, and that includes anybody that's a female that runs for office, that includes you being an Asian American. Claritin-D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin-D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so Why? Like I know that was a long-winded question, but thoughts on what I just said.
2: Well, um, I want to go back to your comment about Nikki Haley because mm. I don't I don't really align with her on a lot of policies. No, issues, I don't either. But, but I think yeah. she's just an incredible candidate. Mm-hmm. And um one of her opponents said that Nikki Haley is Dick Cheney in high heels.
0: Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Very yeah. sexist
2: remark. Yeah. And, um, and and you know and when when Biden um, won and and at his, at his first um, uh, State of the Union address, Kamala Harris was sitting in the back wearing a brown suit. And the next day, nobody was talking about Biden messages. They were all talking about Kamala Harris's brown color suit. Mm-hmm. And so, what has that got to do anything? But women are judged by their style over substance. And when the press writes about what we are wearing or what we look like, did you know that voters don't like us anymore? Like it's really
0: weird. But Tell me about that. Did you go through that when you were like running? Were people physically talking about what, I mean, you're a beautiful woman. I hope you're okay with me saying that.
2: Yeah. So I'll give you an example of, um, you know, just because I don't have children. Mm -hmm. And this is very, uh, I think specific to like women candidates, because if you don't have children, voters, even women, um, are sort of suspicious or they critique. They're like, Oh, do you think, you know, she would understand the issues concerning families? You know, when you don't have children, but you, if you have young children, um, what I've seen voters do is, Oh, um, can they actually balance the job and, And this is such a demanding job. Can she do the assembly job, you know, with small kids at home? Whereas they would never say that to a male candidate. If you're a man, nobody's going to ask you who's babysitting your kids. Mm -hmm. And in all the presidential debates that I've watched, nobody ever asked a male candidate, let me ask you how you're going to manage the household responsibilities. But and yet women candidates you know even women voters critique women candidates you know oh does she have kids oh she doesn't does she understand what family needs are you know and so that that's a real issue that women candidates still deal with and um and you know in my book one of the one of the women that i interviewed who ran for state assembly um, her opponent said that she had no family values because she wasn't married and she had no children. So those attacks are still very real when you when women run for office. So um, so absolutely. And just going back to, you know, that Kamala Harris Brown suit, people went crazy all over social media saying she, she was wearing a UPS uniform. Mm -hmm. She was wearing this brown suit that blended with the brown leather chair. And it's like, when you think about that, well, why are we even talking about this? (laughs) You know, but this is, this is exactly the reason why a lot of women don't want to run for office because they see how women are treated in the media or, um, how sort of the gender bias plays out and the ability double standards play out in the media. And they see that and they get discouraged. And because of social media, like when I ran social media was just kind of starting. It wasn't mm-hmm. like this, you know. Um, you know, back then we just had to deal with more sort of like regular reporters. But now because of social media... You know, you can't really unless you can really control your messaging. It just sometimes it blows up, and then it kind of becomes something else. Um, and so it's very challenging for women candidates. Um, well, they
0: know they're going to be trolled. I mean, social yes. media is so damaging for adult, like not only kids but adults. Like I can't deal with it. I rare, I don't really thankfully get trolls for what I do, but occasionally I do, and then I'm like up at night. And, you know, because I'm of the age where I'm like up at like, you know, three in the morning, sometimes staring at the ceiling, although I am one of my advertisers, I'm doing these magnesium supplements and I love, love, love them. Um, And they work. I was work. listening to oh, one of your... I'm telling you, I'm like, I... That's well, I don't like anyone... writing it down. <laughs> yes. It's, 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 it's amazing. So yeah. um, it's called Magnesium Breakthrough by, by optimizers and... I really, I don't usually do posts like social media posts about products, even though I do a lot of advertising. Um, I try to do more cause I have to, but I believe in this product. It truly worked for me. Anyways, that's a side thing. Um, but I'll be up and at then night. Just like, yeah, go ahead. Okay. No, I just wanted to like, just, um, the final point about,
2: um, you know, Nikki Haley too is yeah. like her gender, like not only her gender is, but, but her race has become, you know, an issue for yeah. these male candidates. And it kind of reminds me of Elizabeth Warren a little bit because, you know, they questioned kind of her Native American heritage. Yeah. And do you
0: remember that whole thing? Yeah, they were and calling so, her an Indian and just being racist. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah.
2: And and um, and so, it, I mean, it just takes a lot of courage, a lot, you know, and uh, for these women candidates, regard like regardless of, Party affiliation or where they stand on issues, women running for office at the highest level—I mean, that really makes a difference. And I talk a lot about this called uh, this thing called imagination barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, Barbara Lee Family Foundation did focus groups um, with voters, asked them to close their eyes, imagine what governor looks like, and most of them imagined a man. <laughs> um, and so, and they gave it a name. It's called the imagination barrier. And basically saying, you really can't be what you can't see. And so for Nikki Haley, um, Elizabeth Warren, all these women who run for office, uh, that just by them running makes it yeah. possible for others to follow and others to to think that, oh, you know, I could do that. That's possible for me. And so I really applaud these women who you know who are doing that and putting themselves out there. I mean, Barbie became president 25 years ago, going back to the Barbie movie. Yeah, um, and so it's about time that you know we get we get female um, president. But when I watch the Barbie movie, that's that you know that the scene. segment where the yeah. woman talks about you know um, like it's women have to be extraordinary. You know, we can't just be. <laughs> and um, like you, I was really relating to what she was saying, because it, as an Asian woman, if I'm aggressive or if I'm assertive, you know, I'm being aggressive, you know, like because in their minds, Asian women should be, you know, quiet and um, not argumentative. And so they have these stereotypes of what I should be like. And so I can't I can't be super aggressive but then I have to be strong because I need to be a leader. And but then I can't be too strong because then, yeah. you know, <laughs> because then I'm being too aggressive and too abrasive and and not nice. I need to build coalition and I need to work by in a bipartisan fashion. I need to get along, but I can't take too much credit for what I do because then then I get penalized for that because women aren't supposed to take credit for what we do. But then in order to win, I need to be able to talk about my accomplishment. But I can't be too aggressive about that or too self-promoting because then I'm being selfish and girls shouldn't be selfish. And so when I when I when I watched the movie, I thought, well, I can have my own thing going just like to talk about women in politics because we can't be too strong. But then we have to be a leader you know, and so, well, it's
0: a very delicate balance. It's a totally delicate balance. I mean, I, I don't, most women that saw that movie, I think I cried. I've cri- I've seen it a few times now and I was crying during that scene. And I think a lot of women did because it's so true. My question is, okay, so why would people run? Why would women run? Like, what do you tell women that, you know, because you're, you're asking somebody to basically be criticized, made fun of for their appearance, made fun of for, their, um, for not being smart, all the things that they can and can't do. I, I, kudos go out to any woman, in my opinion, that puts themselves in that position, unless I have to say this, and if you are listening, I'm sorry, and you like this person, unless you're Marjorie Taylor Green or you have an agenda that... I don't think it is aligned and is part of the problem with what's going on right now is we shouldn't be putting other people down. We should be lifting them up. You know, what are your, what do you tell young women in these situations?
2: So, you know, we talked a lot about barriers, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, I interviewed these amazing 17 women for my book. Mm-hmm. They all have this in common. I ask them like, why did you run for office? Mm-hmm. And they all tell me that they had a personal mission. They wanted to um, they wanted to fix something, whether it was a freeway <laughs> that was coming into their bit, whether did business, or someone like me. Um, I really wanted to to change the mental health system. Um, everyone had a personal mission, and they ran for office because they wanted. They wanted to solve a problem. And so men, studies have shown that men run because they seek a leadership position. They mm-hmm. want more power. They want to be the decision maker. Very similar to when women start their own business. They do it because they want to be available to their family and have flexible schedule. And, you know, they want to take care of people. Whereas men, they start their own business because they want to be their own CEO. They want to be the leader. They want to make more money. Um, and they, you know, and because they can, they should be ambitious, you know, men are allowed to, to, to do that. Um, so a lot of these women go into politics because they want to solve a problem. And not only do they go through all of this and the good news is, is that women and men, they win. When they run for office, they win at the same rate. It's not, it's not that men have ad- advantages. I mean, they do, of course. Mm-hmm. But women are just as competitive. And the voters will vote for you. But the problem is not enough women run for office. And so one of the things that I propose in my book is that we need a better recruitment strategy. Because women are, women are more likely to run if you ask them. Sometimes that's all you have to do is just ask them to run and they will. And so, yes, we get less money. Studies have shown that we get our contribution from political action committees are smaller. Men get larger amounts. I mean, those are the facts. I mean, those are based on studies because why incumbents get more of the favorability over somebody who's running for the first time? And a lot of people think that women can't win just because there's not enough women, it's like the cycle. But women raise less money, smaller checks, but we are just as competitive. And so if women win at the same rate as men, then we need, we need a better strategy for recruitment and supporting women to succeed. And what do they do once they get into office? I mean, that's what's really amazing about my book is some of the examples are just incredible. I'll start with myself, even though at the risk of sounding like I'm promoting myself, which I'm not supposed to. Go for it. No, I know. But I love Um, it. We need more of this. I'm going to take credit for this. My first legislation that I sponsored um, in the legislature was to create a statewide office of suicide prevention. Nobody in our government was coordinating the mental health resources that are out there um and and offering um support, and so that was my first bill that got enacted in two thousand and seven, and so I'm really proud of that and you should be Thank I you also, for doing that. Thank you, thank yeah. you. and one yeah. of the women interviewed in my book, um Florida Senate leader, very young um woman who had a nanny who sexually abused her for seven years ran for office. Her dad encouraged her to to run and ran for office and sponsored multiple legislation that addresses um, taking care of the survivors. Because often, you know, we do bills to lock people up or let's increase the penalty. But who's looking out, you know, for the victims and the survivors of this horrific crime? And so she championed many, many public policy issues out of Florida. And so You know, we we have women basically running for office and turning our loss and our grief, in my case, losing my sister and turning that into public policy issues that would impact those people who have no voice in our system. And that's a very powerful thing we could do. And women are so much better at it than men. It's just a fact we do. Well, I love I love what you said.
0: Yeah, I love what you said about. (laughs) Cause we're, cause I'm not male bashing. I, I want to be clear no, on that not. and neither are you. you <laughs> yeah. But you, you mentioned in the beginning that you had that male that like helped you kind of like, you know, get to the next level. So it's so important that we have men in our corner. And I think there's a lot of great, great men out there. You know, there's some bad ones. There's a lot of great ones. There's some mediocre ones. But what I love about women is, and this is just a fact. I mean, let's be real. My husband is the worst about talking about his problems. Men do not know how to talk about their mental health. They do not know, like if you go somewhere, if let me give you this example. And he would be fine with me talking about this because I tease him. But I go out with my girlfriends and we're like, I'm really struggling with this, this, and this. And here's why. And then we talk through our personal issues and we kind of go, here I am. What do I do now? I'm struggling. And men, you you talk to somebody and you go, what did you talk about? Like you've gone through all this stuff. Did you talk to your guy friends about what you're going through? No. So my point is, if we had more women... (laughs) in office because we're, we like to be problem solvers. We like to talk about, like, let's be real. Like, let's try and help each other get to the other side of our trauma or get to the other side of the issue where they, men are just wired differently from a young age in their defense. They're taught to be the breadwinner. They're taught to be powerful. They're taught not to cry. And as a parent, if I had a son, I would just erase all of that. You just can't do it. And that's the issue. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to. Um,
2: <laughs> when I was, when I was re- doing a lot of research for my book, I found this um, study conducted by this British insurance company,
0: mm-hmm. like auto
2: insurance company. And they said that men on average drive 900 miles more than a female counterpart because they will not ask for help when they're lost. So 900 miles in a lifetime. Yeah. (laughs) Unnecessary driving just because they can't ask for help. And I just thought, you know, that really says a lot. (laughs) It does. And it's so true, by the way.
0: It's so true. Um, Yeah, they'll just keep driving just, just because they won't stop and ask for help. I mean, but it all makes sense. Like if we have these social issues or... I'm going to bring in California because you, you have been involved in mental health in California. Um, and thank you for, you know, that's so huge. Like 988, all of the things that are happening right now are so big. And I do have hope that more people are going to normalize talking about their mental health and getting help. That's why I do what I do. I know that's why you do what you do. And the more that we talk about it, maybe it's saving another life. You know, I feel like in the news every other week, I'm hearing about like all of a sudden out of nowhere, young soap stars are taking their lives. Um, Young men that are like 40, between 40 and 50 is on the rise, young boys. Um, So I do think that what you do is so important and that if we just incorporated more women into office that had good intentions, we would solve so many problems. But to piggyback on what I just said, so in California... I, I hate when people bad mouth our state, by the way, because this is my home. It makes me really yeah. upset. We well, have lots doing of, that? Yeah, everybody, <laughs> all these people yeah, in other states. And I'm like, listen, can you go to the beach? Because I can walk to the beach every day. I can go skiing. I can do, you know, if I did ski, I don't ski anymore. But like, you know, we have a beautiful state. Is it, or do we have some issues? A hundred percent. Do you, what do, what you do you think say? it is?
2: Because when I go to Oregon, because yeah. I do a lot of work up there, and yeah. um, there, there's so such a hostility towards Californians. It's I just salty. say, when, when people ask me, like, where are you from? I just say, I'm from Seoul, Korea. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, because I just, like, skip California because there's just, I don't know what it is, but they're just not nice to me after I, I... disclose that I'm from San Francisco Bay Area. but. <sighs>
0: I'm yeah. a hothead, so I'm Mary. Uh, that's probably why I do what I do. If somebody yeah. badmouths California, I like to ask questions and say, why? Well, what do you know about it? Well, can you do this, this, and this? Yeah, we have a giant issue with looting and, and crime right now, especially in LA. I mean, I know San Francisco does too. And the homelessness issue is huge. But what are we going to do? Just keep complaining about it or actually be proactive and do something about it right I mean every state that, has its like, issues go ahead
2: did you know like San Francisco um they're like violent crime rates have actually gone down
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: I mean it's true that there's a lot of homelessness and drug problems I mean that's I mean that stuff is true but a lot of the large cities um crime rates have actually gone down after COVID but I think sometimes, like, Fox News runs with certain, like, messaging or headline, and then, like, that gets into people's head. Like well, if you I think that's the read, issue. Yeah. If you read the New York Times article, it said that crimes actually went down. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean I know where I live. I I'm sea looting and there's major issues in just Manhattan where I Beach. Live. Yeah, this area, Torrance. I love Manhattan Beach. Yeah, it's gorgeous. <laughs> but that's also why I'm like, yeah, we have crime and there's there are issues and like we can fix this. We just we do have issues. We definitely do. But it's like calling your baby ugly in my opinion. Yeah. Right? Like <laughs> Like, not good, right? And so, I think a lot of it comes down to to answer your question. When somebody goes, "We hate California," this, this, and this is happening. A lot of this comes down to social media and trolls and bots and Fox News and OAN and like all of these different people just trashing our state. When in reality, yeah, we do have issues, but it's a beautiful state. I mean, it truly is, and the people are great for the most part, like, it's a great place. I'm proud to say I live here. So what do you think about the homeless issue and the mental health uh, crisis that's going on right now? Since that is, like, do you see, um, do you see, like, solution-based things going on? Can you answer that? Yeah, I mean,
2: um, like, you know, when Ronald Reagan was the governor,
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. i know a long time ago
2: yeah um you know he closed all the mental health hospitals yeah and that's when we you know we really started to see homelessness Mm -hmm. because he promised like community more community-based compassionate setting care but like he never funded it so all these people were like just they had nowhere to go and they were mentally ill um at the same time, there were some problems with these mental health hospitals.
0: Yeah, there was, there was a there lot was. of forced
2: treatment and a lot uh-huh. of abuse. Um, uh, but to just close it with that reform, I think sort of cre- you know kind of trigger that. And 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 when I worked on the Prop sixty three campaign and the money, we were you know we were sort of talking. Our messaging was that we we needed more resources to create community based you know care. I think we've done that, but the problem is just so big and I don't know if this will ever be resolved because Gavin Newsom did a bill trying to do a pilot program where it would allow judges in certain counties, just a pilot, just as if it were, allowing judges to um, mandate treatment because in California, like if you are my sister mm-hmm. and you were on the street, I have no right to intervene on your behalf. I can't admit yeah. you. No, and, that's
0: and, the problem. That's the And problem it's really right a
2: big yeah. problem because yeah. if I'm a mother and if I'm a sister and I see you on the street and you can't take care of yourself and you don't know where you are, I should have the right to admit you and get the help you need. But in California, we can't do that because of the, because what happened, what we did to, what, what bad people did to disability, um, you know community and and so they you know and so there's this whole self-determination movement that i really respect but we need some balance here we need family member. we need to allow family members to be able to intervene and, it's a huge issue i mean it's and a democrats huge issue. are not willing to walk that line because it's you know they we we want to we want to also be supporting the disability rights community as well but um when when Gavin sort of Newsom proposed this and the legislation passed, it's a pilot. It's basically just allowing certain counties to participate. What did they do? They sued and to stop that. And so um, and I think I think the lawsuit was settled. Can't remember what the result was. Mm-hmm. And the counties are able to like move forward. Um, and so now the judges could, under the pilot, um, could intervene, you know, could say, you know, I'm going to order you treatment. And so that, you know, so that will address some of the homelessness
0: okay. problems,
2: because as you know, a lot of substance abuse abusers um, on the street also suffer from mental illness and they're self-medicating and they need treatment. They should not be living on the street. And then there's also a housing crisis in California. We're about 2 million houses short. That's how behind we are. So literally, (laughs) we need to build 2 million homes like right now, which isn't going to happen overnight. So we have a real housing shortage. We have a real sort of a short-term housing problem where a lot of people are going to be evicted out of their apartments because they can't make the rent and the moratorium is going to end like in LA when you where you are um the moratorium ended i think yesterday so starting today like the eviction notices are going to go out so well, you are going is, to see more homelessness so so there's all yes. these sort of problems not just with the mentally ill population who need treatment but all of these other sort of big public policy problems that they have to solve
0: it's it's such a huge issue i know Karen Bass has been very involved in this and kudos to her you know, I know, I understand it's not like a one size fits all solution, but I just think people need to be heard on both sides because they're automatically being shut down saying, um, I mean, I've interviewed people that are a lady that I interviewed, her brother was bipolar and homeless and refused to take his meds. This is so common. So he's living on the streets and she, thankfully, this rarely happens, but she was going down there to these tent cities in Venice and giving like surfboards away and doing everything because she just loved her brother. He, She eventually got him off the street. But my point is, is like you said, they they would rather sit with their drugs if they're addicted to drugs than be put in housing. And then there's a money issue where... I believe there's stuff going on and people just want to work the system. I don't know what it is. But I do believe if the right people have the right intentions of of getting these people help and we get more and more people involved in this, like stop complaining. That's my biggest issue with this is stop (laughs) complaining and do something like get off your butt. Get off your butt if it's so bad and do something. Stop complaining. So yeah. Mary, like, I'll be involved. <laughs> Tell me what I need to do. I'm happy to do it. Um, well, um, so so governor's been taught promoting or he's been
2: talking about Prop One, which is the yeah. you know, the mental health um, ballot measure. I think he wants to add more hospital beds, and I think mm-hmm. that's really essential. It is. But at the same time, we don't have enough workers. Mm-hmm. We need mental health providers. I know that personally, you know, my mom passed away last year and I was looking for like a grief counselor. And it was really hard finding someone to talk to. And I finally did. <laughs> Our first question was, how did you survive all these years? <laughs> um, it was kind of funny. But yeah. I mean, for kids, like kids are... Like when kids get admitted to emergency for mental health issues, they're kept longer because they can't find a provider who will take them on. Mm -hmm. So they are basically placed in emergency care, which isn't the best care for mental health problems. But there's just lack of providers and just gross shortage of people who are wanting to go into that field. And so, Megan, one thing you can do, because I know your podcast is really popular and it reaches a lot of people, is that we need more people who are willing to go into that field. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, one of the things that the legislature could do is, you know, work on student loan forgiveness, you know, give more incentives so that people could go into that field. Like I wish... If I was like 30 years younger, I definitely want to go and get like a degree so that I or get a license so that I could like treat people. It's yeah. so frustrating when friends call you and say, oh, I, you know, do you know anybody for my kid? And I can't find somebody. And I'm supposedly, you know, somebody who knows everything or could do things. And I'm like, I, I don't, I, I can't, I can't find anybody who is accepting new patients Or, or the
0: insurance thing, like it's all out of pocket. It's like, I mean, I feel like I could talk about these things for days. It has to be like baby steps, by the way, listen to my last episode with, um, Dr. Julie Payne. Um, she's a therapist and she deals with high conflict divorce and children of trauma and loss. She's an amazing children's therapist. Um, highly recommend that episode for my listeners and you actually, if you anyone's ever looking, she's licensed in California and Texas. Um, but it is, it's a huge issue, but to piggyback on what you said, it's a costly thing. You know, you, if I decided I'm just going to give me, I'm a mom, you know, I have two kids going back to school to become a therapist. Um, That's what, like 80 grand, maybe more, you know, like, so like you said, we that's need, we, there's, there's solutions, but exactly what you're saying. People have to be willing to step up and stop complaining because the more that we all complain, we're not going to get anywhere. It's just going to, going to continue to get worse and worse. So if things bother you so much, do something about it. You know, that's, I'll, I'll get off my little pulpit and say that Um, in closing for the sake of time, Mary, I mean, I could talk to you all day because I, like you're, you're now like one of my idols. Um, what, what have you learned from everything that like one thing that you've learned, if you could go back and talk to Mary when she was young, like say like a 23 year old, just going into politics. I think you said you were 23. What's something you would tell yourself? Yeah.
2: So one of the women that I interviewed in the book, um, Senator um, Lafonza Butler, I think, summed it up really nicely because, you know, I mean, that's she gave the same advice that I would, which is do it anyway. You know, women often start from a place of lack, what we don't have. I am not qualified. I am not ready. I can't raise the money. I'm not wealthy. I don't come from the right family, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's kind of like how we are wired, you know, because we're not supposed to be ambitious and we're not supposed to 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 want to be a leader. Um and so even if you have doubts, do it anyway. I mean, I did. I I, I didn't even speak English. <laughs> and and my parents taught me, you know, to be a good Asian girl, you know, mm-hmm. not somebody who goes in front of in an audience and tries to promote herself. God know, or make cold calls to raise money. And so I've done that. And, I, you know, I did that with my nonprofit. A lot of people said, what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> you, I don't, but I'm going to do it anyway. So that's my advice. Do it anyway. If you have, if you want to run for office and if you got passion for it, do it anyway. What's the worst that can happen? Um, you know, the worst it could happen is that you, you, learn win. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> you learn a lot and you don't win sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but almost everyone that I've interviewed in my book have lost a race one point or another. And so, I mean, I've failed as just as much as I've succeeded. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's part of life, but it doesn't mean that you don't have the right to be at the table, you know? And you are, you're qualified, you're qualified to run. And so I don't want women to start from the place of lack, because we do that. I'm not qualified to run. I don't have money. I don't have the right family background. And it's like, well, but if you really want to do it, you are qualified. (laughs) Because of your lived experience.
0: Yeah, I love it. Thank you so, so much for coming on. Where can my listeners find you? Um, the best ways is to go to my website,
2: mirihayashi.com. And I want people to subscribe to my uh, monthly newsletter as well.
0: And what's next for you? What do you have on the burner besides okay. still writing? Oh, yes. I got audiobook audio book coming out next month, which I'm really excited about. Um, and, uh, and where is that available? Amazon?
2: Yes. Um, where everywhere. can people get your be... book?
0: I didn't say that in the beginning. So you have two books. What's your first book called? We didn't talk about that.
2: Oh, um, it's called Far From Home. It's about my sister. Okay. And um, and why I started the nonprofit organization. Okay. I um, read and that. what I've learned. Um, it's actually out of print. Okay. But it is on Amazon. I think you can buy like used copies. So um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, everywhere, um, Walmart, all the, all the
0: retailers. Um, okay. So women uh, in politics we're talking yes. about now is available wherever you yes. buy a book. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all over the place. Um, thank you so so much for coming on. Thank I you. I just think you're wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful lady, and I truly, truly admire you. I really mean that. Um, everyone. Be happy by making other people happy. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. (laughs) Judging Megan with Megan Judge.